welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 171 of the Proper Mental Podcast and this week I am joined by an absolutely wonderful man who goes by the name of Mark Williams and Mark is an author and a speaker and an international campaigner for father's mental health and Mark suffered with PTSD and depression after the birth of his son and he suffered in silence for a long time while trying to support his wife who was also struggling with her mental health and they were both at crisis point at the same time. He's an incredibly active campaigner for parental mental health and he's appeared on national radio and television. He actually founded International Father's Mental Health Day. He's published five books and one of which was made into a short film by Amazon Prime. And he's been voted Inspirational Father of the Year and Local Hero at the Pride of Britain Awards. And in this episode I chat to Mark about becoming a dad, how that impacted him mentally and how he and his wife supported each other through that time when they were both struggling. We chat about some of the things that can impact new parents and some of the reasons why dads can struggle. And we look at how these issues can show up and play out. And we look at a few things that can be done to help. And we also chat about growing up in a rural area, in a working class area, and how working class people are often forgotten about in the mental health conversation and why local community is so important to all aspects of health. And it was an absolute pleasure to chat to Mark. Mark's been on my radar for a long time. He's a very well-known, very well-respected advocate, and he was so easy to chat to. He's got so much to say, and he just made some beautiful points. Obviously, my mental health stuff started around the birth of my son, so so much of what Mark was saying was relative to my story, and we just got on really well. It was great to chat about all the parenting stuff. It was great to look at the way that Mark helps and supports people in his local community with this stuff as well. And it was great to chat about the working class stuff, you know. I think about this a lot, and without going too much into it here but so much advocacy takes place in London and it's all about black ties and big events and all these things that cost loads of money and with celebrity voices and all that stuff and it could not be further away from working class lads going about their business you know in the valleys and yet when you look at statistics you know there's there's a lot going on in these places you know so it was just fascinating to to chat with Mark because he's still very hands-on in his local community he still does so much where he lives his family are all really involved in the local youth club and stuff like that but he's also been on the telly and the radio and there's a film on Amazon about him so there's a lovely balance in the conversation about the really big scale stuff and the small scale stuff too and how he kind of ties it all together. But yeah, it was loads of fun. He's a lovely bloke. His socials, his website, all that stuff is in the episode notes. His book's out now. Go and check it out. And of course, if you would like to watch our conversation, you can do so via the Proper Mental Patreon page. And speaking of that, I really want to say a massive thank you to, to everyone who's supported so far. And to everyone who's just joined, there's been a really big influx recently of people getting involved and supporting the Patreon. And it's, it's a lovely thing, you know, it really just fills my heart. I suppose partly that people are willing to pay for what I do and people want to support this project. But also because I've been putting a lot of effort into the Patreon recently, you know, going into 2024, 
I've worked really hard to kind of add some value and I really want to create something special, you know, create a real community vibe around it. So the fact that people are seeing that and getting involved is a really lovely thing. And if you would like to join us, there's a link in the episode notes. And this is episode 171 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Mark Williams. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. This is the Proper Mental Podcast, and my guest this week is Mr. Mark Williams. How are you, mate? Good, Tom. Yeah, yourself? I'm good, mate. I'm really good. Yeah, it's lovely to uh, lovely to chat. You've been on my radar for so long, mate. I feel like this is a little bit overdue, so it's lovely to meet you, mate. <laughs> no, it's great what you're doing, honestly. Amazing, like so. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. You're um, you're live and direct from the Valleys today. Is that right, mate? Yeah, South Wales Valleys, Bridgend, and um, yeah, born and bred, still up here. So um, yeah, I'd love a community, you know. It's, um, I moved out for a couple of years, but I moved back. Um, so uh, my wife, um, my mother, we we're all involved with, with the local youth club, So um, which uh, helped me as a child as well. So uh, yeah, still involved with stuff like that. Oh, mate, it's lovely that to come uh, to come full circle. We'll probably talk about like community quite a lot today because I think it's a really important part of the the mental health conversation. But I suppose how would you, um, if people are listening, I'm Welsh myself, Mark. You see, so I when we say the valleys, I know what you're talking about. But there'll be people listening who don't. How would you describe the valleys to people who um to who don't know to English yeah. people? Is what I'm saying, really. <laughs> um, yeah, the valleys. It's um, it's very much like I said. I'm a my. Um, my father's miner, my grandfather's miners. Um, so I'm a first generation not going underground. So um, for years, you know, when it comes to mental health, it was very much, you know, man, I've get on with it and, you know, be the, you know, strong person and stuff. But it's very much, um, it's changed a lot, you know, perspectives. Um, so it's very much um, people are understanding, you know, what, about mental health in the Valleys community. But as a community, we are, yeah, you know, um, you know, you know, when somebody's down or we all come together, it's really good in a sense. And uh, yeah, we got you know mountains. We can go walking. It's good for your mental health. And uh, and certainly, there was more people um, about Valley during COVID <laughs> because uh, you know the benefits amazing up here as well. So it's, yeah, so good good things up here. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. I I, I suppose I, I'm really interested in like you know you mentioned being part of a mining family, and you know the it it would have been very much in those times, very like sort of strong and stoic times. And I'm going to make the assumption that there wasn't a lot of uh, mental health chat going on in your, uh, in your younger years, Mark. No, no. Right. Yeah. And I think with the, um, the mining community, like for instance, you know, when they're down in the mines, you know, they're working side by side, you know, offloading together. And um, you know, obviously when the mines closed, there was a lot of depression and uh, alcohol and, you know, in the nineties. So um, the identity changed then obviously, because my father always wanted to follow his father. And um, so the identity changed. And uh, obviously, my father went to work for the post office, you know, which was great. But he didn't have a sense of community like he did in in uh, in the mine. So even though, you know, working a, a 12-hour shift underground is is gruesome for a lot of people, but a lot of benefits, you know, and a lot of, um, a lot of good things he enjoyed about his job as well, massively as well. Yeah, I suppose it's like a real brotherhood to it, right? That- yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it is because you um it's a very dangerous job you know so you gotta have a trust in each other to go in the mines together as well so you know a lot of people died in the mines as well so it's having that brotherhood like you mentioned and, and our trust as well which is um which is valuable really as well isn't it? so yeah yeah very much so so when like 
I know you just mentioned that the conversation has, has changed over the years and that's that's wonderful that's something that always interests me it's like the it, how it evolves like in one place and do you see more because I suppose in your work as well do you see more sort of openness and talking and, and things like that in in that part of Wales yeah I think the conversations have changed I go a wonderful family I'm lucky but um there's something we didn't do growing up was talking about mental health, you know, sort of thing. So, um, so that's uh, something that we I brought to the attention of my father. You know, my father's a course, as not many people knew, uh, in 2008, and um, he had a water infection like calcium, uh, sleep deprivation, you know, alcohol over Christmas, and uh, yes, a courses, you know. So, I think he understood about mental health that it can happen to anyone really as well. But certainly, when my wife had uh, severe post depression or birth trauma. Uh, she, you know, you know, they got on really well. So he had a great understanding when, um, obviously, what happened in two thousand and four, for instance. But uh, certainly, when it comes to conversations of Ali now, we we got a suicide prevention group up here. We got walk and talk groups, and um, because unfortunately, a lot of people have died in the rallies. And I know it's sure you where I'm. I'm a youth worker. You know, still a youth worker voluntary now and again, not as much as I used to. And uh, there was a lot of young suicides in Bridgend years ago with young people and there was a lot of media storm. So it didn't just affect Bridgend, it affected communities also. And the thing about the um, the Bridgend suicide, it was higher rates of suicide in uh, young people, but they only focused on Bridgend, where it was the Bridgend community, which is far greater. So that's why it was higher rates, because... Yeah, there was a lot of stigma and a lot of um, lazy journalism, I should say, uh, back then about uh, suicide as well. Yeah, it's quite often the way, isn't it? Like you say, it's lazy, uh, lazy journalism and lazy media. And it's, I don't know, I've kind of like, I think a lot about like the mental health awareness conversation, like in general. And I, I think so much about how, um, I suppose I've got a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about this at the moment, Mark. But um, the I often feel these big awareness campaigns um and you know there's no downside to that i'm not saying that at all but they are often targeted at the same places it's often down south i live at the moment in the northwest of england and we don't get this that stuff up here everything's in london you know everything yeah. all and i get that's why it's busy you can reach a lot of people that's where the money is and i get that but quite often the way these awareness campaigns and stuff are done is it's all about um there's a lot of like celebrity involvement and black tie events to raise money and all that sort of stuff if you're a, a young man in Bridgend struggling with your mental health, that conversation could not be further away from your reality of going through day-to-day -day life in a small Welsh community. Do you know what I, I, I mean here? You know, it, we get left out outside of the cities and thing, things like that. It's, it's, I, I, that's not really a question. I, was, I suppose I'm just getting your, uh, your thoughts. Oh, no, you're 100% right. And uh, like I said, I, I've, been, I've been working in uh, mental health for... Uh, well, close on to uh, what's it coming up? Eighteen years now. You know, I changed my career to get into mental health because what happened uh, to our personal experiences as well. And um, yeah, I've seen a big change in the last recent years. But I, I think you're right. It's 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 like we all got our different journeys, different paths, you know. And um, I think um, especially in the valleys, it's very much like um, it's funny <laughs> the, the north uh, of England and the valleys. It's it's very similar in different communities as well, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's totally different, uh, like you mentioned, and I totally agree as well, you know. Yeah, it's what I'm always just, I love chatting to people like yourself. And you mentioned before the walks and talks and the dad's groups and all that sort of stuff, because it's so important to just, you like, you know, remind people that this stuff is, it's just not outside of the cities. It goes on and like working class people have, uh, you know, like these things are out there too, right, in these communities and they're taking the care of themselves. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 
Um, so you mentioned before, did you say 2004, where that kind of your your story kind of... Yeah, started? well, it started before because it's very important to um, understand that a lot of uh, parents-to-be have got their own struggles before they become parents. And these are some of the risk factors when it comes to postnatal depression in men, you know. So so um, I always say to people, you know, you know, can, can imagine, I, I remember doing a BBC and, uh, in 2011 and uh, saying about postnatal depression in fathers and, you know, the stigma. They were saying, oh, how can men get postnatal depression? Man up, get on with it. It's hormonal. And, um, yeah, so we had a lot of boosts years ago, you know. And, uh, and my work is never about taking attention away from mum, never has been. So um, I mean, I'm actually an ambassador for two mothers' charities locally and um, no men's charities. It's about getting a more realistic approach. So when you support all parents for their mental health, there's far better outcomes for the whole family and our child's development then. And um, so my, 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 my story really starts in school, really, where, you know, a wonderful childhood, you know, sport in the valleys, you know, playing, stuff like that. And, um, but in school, unfortunately, I couldn't keep still. I couldn't, uh, couldn't focus on class. Uh, I was overwhelmed, you know, literature. I wasn't interested in French. And um, so you play up to get out of that situation, you know. Um, I wasn't naughty to the teachers, but it was just overwhelming. And, and I was actually diagnosed with ADHD at 40 years of age, you know. So um, 10 years ago now, I'm 15 X. So there was a lot of stuff going on before I became a parent as well. But I didn't know about it. So, so I had a lot of low self-esteem in school. Didn't think I was good enough. Um, you know, I was in an age where teachers were throwing uh, dustboard dusters, you know, and picking up my sideboards, you know, just getting out of the, uh, the punishment of the cane, you know, they still have this old mindset, you know. So you can imagine, you know, I'm very hyperactive now, like, but back then I was even more hyperactive, you know. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I was lucky enough to go to a youth club where my mother took me at seven years of age and uh, a volunteer, Stan Norris, used to work in the mines 12 hours and then go to the youth club to help out and he said uh, mark you can do anything with your life you know and he gave me the grounding and i went on to become a british champion in my sport and different things as well so so i was on that path where you know i had somebody saying to me you're not good enough and um you know you never get a job and then i had a winning clean around a paper round and i just become a british champion and, you know so i was questioning myself and you know not just to listen to people who didn't really know me as well you know sort of thing and then obviously after leaving the youth club, I went on YTS and ended up in factories. And then my downfall really was uh, the rave scene in 1990 then, you know, six years of alcohol, drugs and recreation drugs. So, yeah, I took a different path then after that, you know, because my purpose had gone really where I wanted to be. Yeah. And it was that sort of, uh, I don't know, how did you go from... Uh, from the rave scene to starting to think about like starting a family and stuff like that. Cause that's always interesting, right? When that comes along, um, when you're, you know, yeah, when you're over in Ibiza, it doesn't really cross your mind that I might want to be a dad one day. Right. So how does that. Is yeah. That's a good question. I think, I think I was lucky cause I just came home from a um, holiday, my friend and, um, and my friend said, you know, come to over this place and yeah, no, I'm tired. I'm not going to go out. And, uh, Luckily enough, I did because all of us went over, and that's where I met my wife Michelle. You know, so um, and um, from that point then, yeah, I would say it's love, it was love at first sight. You know, first of all, it was gradually for that year we were you know seeing each other. She was in college and different things, and uh, my wife's from a very much um a council state where you know uh, stigma like Henry used to call it. It's like um the, the down these places, communities like uh, Murtha, you know, Gurnos Estate. She's from 
similar place, like, you know, uh, but she done really well for herself. She was one of the first um, people who come out with a uh, degree and all sorts of things. And, and my wife has gone into mental health after me, you know, as well. You know, she works in uh, dementia projects, mental health matters, Wales, amazing stuff. But I think it was that connection really where I was starting to get at the end of the partying and, and different things. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah, my life changed then. I went to sales and marketing. Um, Michelle had a really good job with a, a big company and financially was great. You know, I, you know, I went from, yeah, I was earning more nine, money in 96. We were than I am now. Like, you know, it was, it was really good. You know, I found something I was passionate about. I like positive psychology, sales backgrounds and, and I worked for a lot of blue chip companies, but, um, so yeah, we had a company car totally where we, you know, like I said, we lived outside the Valley for three years but we moved back. But my life really changed, really, um, after we got married. And after 22 hours labour, I remember the doctors come rushing in and said, uh, you know, Mr. Williams, your wife needs emergency C-section. We need to get into the theatre quick. And it's the first time and only time I actually had a, a panic attack, you know. And um, I felt really guilty, you know, the attention's on me when it should be on my wife, Michelle, you know. But what really stemmed was when um, I went to theatre and then seeing her in the theatre and uh, where she was, you know, what happened in that theatre. It was horrendous and... And um, <clears throat> sorry, um, yeah, basically, uh, I was having this little baby. I never had a little baby in my life. I thought I was going to drop him to get him weighed. And um, I, the three of us, supposed to left that day, but it was only myself. And the first thing I did was use alcohol because I just thought, you know, cut the baby's cord off you go, happy families. And unfortunately, it wasn't that case. Like you know, yeah, that's where. Um, I mean, alcohol is uh, obviously it's like. It's a strange thing to say, but it's it is it is not a healthy coping mechanism, but it's a very useful one, right? Like short term, it does <laughs> yeah, work, yeah, right? Yeah, Which absolutely. Not a not a great thing, not promoting that at all, of course. But that sounds like a very similar experience to me, Mark. I remember when the um when my son came out and they and the midwife said, Do you want to hold it? But I said, No, I was so scared. She just want to hold the baby. I was like, No, I don't think yeah. and I had to have a word myself, say, No, go on, because you're gonna have to hold him at some point. So you might as well do it here. And I was like, Oh no, go on, actually, yeah, I will have a hold. But it's um, I mean, even if a labour is straightforward, nothing prepares you for it. So then you add any sort of complications, and um, that's it's just it's such a scary place to be, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, it is, and it's something that's not talked about in mental health as 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 uh, PTSD. So, so yeah, and, and and really, what happened? That, like I said, after the um, um, I'm pretty fortunate. My son just made me a cup of tea, uh, a drink, like you know, I said. He, my, my son's 19 now, he's working from home by year, and um, oh, we got a wonderful bond. But initially, that bond wasn't there, you know, I didn't get it so well, me feel love initially. I think it was so much going on, and um, yeah, I think I grew, but also when um, I went back in the water the next day, yeah, Michelle was really unwell, clingy, wouldn't leave me go, and I put it down to tiredness, you know, and uh, I didn't know nothing about mental health, let alone post depression, and um, when Michelle was discharged, things really escalated then, and um, uh, yeah, Michelle tried to take a life by suicide. So obviously I witnessed that then. And, uh, you know, this is a woman who um, I bounced off, you know, and uh, had a really good, you know, relationship, everything. I didn't get that relationship because she was so unwell then. And then she was in crisis team. And we talked about 2004 when she was only mother on the ward, really, with uh, people with, um, you know, bipolar schizophrenia, you know. And um, it was really scary. I, I felt that, um, like in the labour ward, I thought it was, you know, trying to protect her. And I was in a situation where I had no control of as well. And um, so I was expecting back in work in two weeks. I was self-employed sales. I chained my job only weeks before 
just so I can have more flexibility. And then, um, yeah, things really changed then where, you know, financially and all the other things that come with it. Couldn't tell my wife how I was starting to feel then. And it only came to crisis um, uh, to tell our family because at crisis point, I should say, because it, it got so unwell. So we try to keep it away from people because we worried about social services, worried about all the other things going on as well, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that was the start really when around about the three, four month mark, I was starting again thoughts of suicide and, and other aspects. Um, not because I wanted to take my life or as in, I say that as in, it's like a to- I'm a totally different person from that time and the second time when it actually happens. I still get my days like everyone else, but nothing like the same person I was back then, you know. But my mental health was starting to deteriorate far more. Yeah, quite often that's the way, isn't it? That it like it slowly chips chips away. And I think there is this um, this kind of narrative in in mental health. If you when you don't know about it, when you're outside looking in, that it's, uh, it's something. I don't know, some like big thing that happens. And and that, of course, that's the case for some people, but it is, it's more of an erosion, I think, Mark, sometimes yeah. that just yeah. kind of like chip, chips away. And quite often when it in as part of a couple, you have to take it in turns to be strong for the other one because we go through stuff in life, don't we? We all have these, these ups and downs. But yeah, when you're both in it together and you both feel like you can't, like look after yourself because you're trying to look after someone else it becomes like i mean that just sounds like such a such a hard situation mate to be stuck in yeah i'd like to say i couldn't tell my wife i was feeling because i didn't want to impact on her mental health so i suppressed those feelings and then it was situations like i was lucky my family my mother came to live with us and um it was a case of like i was i'd been of time to just offload and i'd be end up drinking in a casino uh wouldn't pretend to go to work all those things. So, so my behaviours really changed during the post-natal depression. I punched the sofa, bust my hand. <laughs> I, just start, I remember I did manage to get out with, with my friends and then I started fighting with bouncers because I wanted somebody to hit me, like a self-harm. So all these things were starting to create, um, you know, in the post-natal period then. So if there's no pregnancy or baby, I wouldn't have been depressed or I was thought of suicide in that period. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm always interested in the in the comeback, Mark. You know, how do you start to? Because that's the bit that's useful for people, isn't it? It's like you know, we 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 talk about this experience, and you hear yourself in someone's experience, and you think, right, that's great. Now what? <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah. How did how how did that go for you? How did you try and? Um, yeah, no, that's a good question. Because um, like I said, everything settled down. Um, I went into youth work voluntary two thousand and five. Then I uh, started changing my job. I wasn't the same person going into sales. I think money didn't matter to us anymore. Material stuff didn't matter and still doesn't. It was a case of, uh, yeah, I just want to do something to help other people, like, you know. And um, so I started working in a different project, obviously Suicide Bridgen, mental health courses, suicide assist courses. And I started to get this a thing with ADHD, you can hyper-focus. If you love something, you can really look at things and, and get into it more, like, as well. And uh, and then I started working in Securnits. Um, you know, gosh, you know, I've seen some mad things over the years, you know, working with people from Broad and Ashworth and on the forensic wards. And um, what really changed my life was really, um, was when my mother had cancer, I lost my grandfather to mine, she was six weeks to each other. And everything I had dealt with in my life came to head because I was still suffering because I didn't want to go to the GP because I thought if it was on my notes, I would never get a job in mental health. And that was a turning point, really. I was very unwell a second time again. And then I had a breakdown, breakthrough. And um, I was in community mental health teams then. I had no choice. I had to get the help then. And um, yeah, I had uh, CBT, uh, counselling, talk about everything. 
Uh, obviously, I was put on medication, first of all, to build it up, and then uh, gradually came off medication, different things, because uh, I needed a function. I couldn't function, so I needed a... And I was physically fit, Tom. I was um, doing a lot of kickboxing. So mentally, it was impacting my physical health. You know, so as some of the signs we're going to look for, nausea, toothache, aches and pains, and things like that. So, um, yeah, in, I was eight weeks into my recovery, and... Um, already doing the counseling i really worked hard on my mental health that's one thing i always tell people you know i still do this today 15 years on i'm really aware of my triggers and different things and um i speak to this guy in the gym and i said can i bother weights and he said yeah yeah i gotta go to nhs prams and i said oh i'm working in a hospital in cardiff what's nhs prams he said oh my wife's got post depression and i said no way i said my wife had post depression too no way so side by side I probably told him more things than I told anyone, my best mates, everyone, like, you know. And it was the first time I felt, gosh, I know another father who had the same sort of issues as me then. And that was a really turning point then. And I found out that um, Gail James, who set up NHS Prams, was a CPN, this community mental health nurse that cared for my wife when she was going through her own struggles. So it was basically like a calling, I think, whatever you want to call it, you know, sort of thing. And uh I thought, gosh, this is it's just meant to be like, you know. Yeah, it does. It, it brings it does bring that out in you, doesn't it? Being poorly, there's like a level of compassion that you find and this this drive to just to talk about it and share it and help people and do everything you can. And it, it's quite weird. Like I sometimes think that from my own experiences, I kind of had to go through them to be the person I am now and i'm glad that it happened although it was like horrendous for a long time and i've put my family through a lot it's uh it's funny isn't it how that when you get spat out the other end and start to put it back together it's funny how you mentioned yourself being a completely different person right but it does it changes you in a in a very different way doesn't it being poorly best best and looking back obviously you know it you know i, I talk about post-traumatic growth you know um a lot you know and like like i said um there's a mix-up between post-depression and pdsd a lot of fathers uh who witnessing traumatic births can suffer from pdsd um so all these things i was not getting knowledge of then because when i set up a group called fathers reaching out it was then where it was only the sport fathers with their partners with post-depression but it was a case of these mums are phoning us up and say, Mark, can my husband join? I'm fine, or I've been supported. And he even asked about his mental health. And then I started learning about dads with intrusive thoughts, dads, heart, you know, um, you know, suffering from PDSE, from the baby being in the near ward, loss of baby, wouldn't get support, impacting on, on the relationships. And there was, it was just a minefield, you know. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough to meet Dr. Jane Hanley, who wrote the book. On, on the subject being there 40 years still still work together 12 years on 13 years on whatever it is now and um and then i started telling now what the dads were saying because i had a basic understanding by then and uh, i never know everything about mental health never but um i had a good understanding we had proper safeguardings everything in place but it was a case of like how do you know this and i said well the dads are opening up and i think like you said it's why it's really good you're doing the, the podcast on and, and the other work because the thing is, we lived experience as well. When I told him of my own lived experience, I got one dad to open up, and that's when I knew I had a man, because the other dad would open up. And there's a big myth that men don't talk. They do talk in a safe place, you know, sort of thing, you know. And then, yeah, it just grew. And what really changed was, well, unfortunately, it was only to be a small group in my local town, and then it was going to be branch out slowly, slowly. I didn't want to be the biggest charity, nothing like that, because... You got to put the right foundations in place, 
And then I put a news article in um, in my local newspaper, but uh, advertising for fathers to know about the group. And I did know at the time that article in this and my story went to national press then. So all of a sudden, within weeks, I was on Women's Hour, uh, going on radio, eventually going on BBC Breakfast, Breakfast, uh, Good Morning Britain, all of our men, because they never knew anyone who had actually gone through those experiences as well, you know. Yeah, that's incredible how it just sort of, yeah, chain of events and it blows blows up like that, mate. Yeah, and intensely it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, luck. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, the, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? So it <laughs> tends, tends to be how it, how it goes, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought what, what would be, could be really interesting for something for us to chat to about a little bit is to kind of, um, I mean, you, you mentioned before a lot of the thoughts, you know, you're worried about social services and you're worried about these sorts of things. And like, these are myths, but they're so common, aren't they? And I was exactly the same. I was so worried about getting sections. And when you actually learn a bit about it, it's actually really hard to get a section. It's very hard. Particularly as a white man, right? It's very hard to get sections. So like, um, but there's these like these myths. And do you find with the the dads that you've you've met over years that a lot of these things keep coming back up that really get in the way of dads asking for help and speaking up and things like that? Yeah, you're right. Um, funny enough, I used to be an independent mental health advocate. Uh, so we had to make sure people are on the right sections and section two or section three, whatever that was. And I explained to them of that. But um, that is definitely one of the myths. Same happened to me as well. And uh, I used to think all sorts of things because, you know, uh, you see films and different things and, um, you know, and um, yeah. And the other one is, um, you know, if you go to the GP, it's going to affect the workplace. Uh, that comes up a lot. I try to break it down. I had a fireman a couple of months ago where he was really struggling. And then when I explained there was a mental health charity within the fire service, he didn't realise that. And, you know, that was the time where, okay, oh gosh, okay, I'm going to get the help, you know, sort of thing. So, you know, there's a medication comes up. I explained when it was an advisor medication, but I explained that some people need to function. It, I would slowly, you know, PRN drugs are more addictive. I, I briefly, I don't advise on anything I do, but um, because I'm very person-centered. So with our father, you know, social prescribing might be great for him, you know, uh, to the point where I've had to break confidentiality because some of these fathers so unwell, they've actually made plans to take their life by suicide as well, you know, sort of thing. So so there's a range of fathers I've spoken to over the years have got sometimes the smallest problem issue, but it's big to them. And even, even things like, you know, skin to skin, you know, get them to... Um, uh, do baby massage because it gives a massive shift of dopamine helps dad and baby you know those sorts of things and I don't, I don't see him again and you know so there's there's a lot of things around fatherhood and the science behind fatherhood we don't know about as well because not m- many people know that um um we talk about biological risk factors like hormonal there's um 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 testosterone estrogen cortisol levels vasopressin and prolactin actually loads in fatherhood and there's actually research, uh, recent research, that 34% of do- uh, sorry, don't mean, testosterone actually lowers in fatherhood, and it doesn't get the pre-fatherhood levels either. As wow. Well. See, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that. No. So yeah. there's, um, there's a good thing on uh, Dr. Anna Mitchin. I've worked on uh, on stage and different things, and partially great. But there's been science around this. Um, there's a big study, that Sad Dads 2007, explains about this as well. It's all property evidence research and all the science. But also when I try to educate them about post-depression, I always say, what's the thoughts and feelings mums get with post-depression? 
guilt, not good enough, to struggle a bond with baby, all those sort of aspects. There's not one the fathers can't experience either. And even sleep deprivation, gosh, that can affect your mental health massively as well. And as you know, we don't get much sleep as parents as well. No, that's true. There's a reason why it's uh, how they torture people in like war zones and stuff, isn't it? The the lack of sleep. Yeah. I always found that was really like confusing. I knew something wasn't right with me. Right. So my stuff all started around about the birth of my son. And I now say that that for me, that was it was it was it wasn't the cause, but it was the catalyst. Right. That yeah. was the, the start of things. And um, there was it's such a murky water because a lot of the things about being a new parent, if you wrote them down, and cross reference them with like symptoms of depression are the same. Right. Yeah. So like yeah. I, yeah. I'd, I'd sort of like, I'd test the water and maybe say to someone I was working with, like, Oh, you know, I've been feeling this way. And they'd be like, yeah, of course you do. You've got a newborn in the house. Yeah. And I, and, and I'd be like, Oh, I think it might be more than that, but you feel like you can't say it's more than that, but it's such a murky time, isn't it? When you're not sleeping, you're not taking great care of yourself. It, it's, it's hard to work out like what's real and what you're supposed to be feeling, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, and the thing is, a lot of things come to the forefront when you become a parent. The things you may have been struggling with comes to the forefront. Now you're overwhelmed. There's so much going on. Structures change in your life. Your identity's starting to change. You know, you uh, used to go to the gym and now you've got to limit that, the social aspect. You know, fatherhood in itself can be really lonely and isolating as well if you don't know any other fathers go through the same time as well. And uh, so all these aspects are coming in a short space of time, you know, as well. And then we're trying to navigate, you know, trying to, okay, you start thinking, am I good enough as a dad or or am I, uh, you know, trying to provide enough? So there's loads of reasons why some fathers may massively struggle during this time as well, massive. Yeah, it's one of those societal things, isn't it, that, like, because it's a normal thing that people do, right, it's just almost expected of us, that it there's no, there's not a great deal in place um to kind of the, the, what, what words am i looking for here the change is so big and we're expected to just absorb it like you mentioned before you thought you'd be back in work in two weeks right the idea that you can be a nude like two weeks like what is that that's I nothing, right? I know. <laughs> nothing. I <know>. yeah <laughs> yeah you're right and, and and a lot of dads like i said you know the baby might be unwell you know on a, on a neonatal ward you know the mother might be in a mother baby unit up in 150 miles away with psychosis and 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 then they expected to just yeah go back to work and that affects the workplace and can't it as well so i i think it's very important that employers when dads who do go back to work they understand that you know maybe there could be other aspects why it's affecting the workplace as well because behaviors is one of the uh, key things I, I tend to look out for dads as well you know different yeah changes. yeah i mean that's on my on my list i wanted to kind of look at some um some sort of practical things you know because it really does sometimes this really catches you off guard and i think some it's very easy me and you could sit here and we could talk about all this stuff that we've got in common and we know all this and but we only know it because like we had to learn it right yeah. and i had when i had to learn it i knew nothing like less than nothing right so i thought it'd be really interesting to chat a little bit about yeah about things that maybe we could look out for right and you mentioned behavior that was certainly a problem i really started in um acting up but that's that's often a sign isn't it that something's bubbling uh, bubbling away yeah absolutely like it's in langer you know it's a surface emotion you know sometimes you know it's, it's like i said it's these sort of things are very common, I find, with fathers, you know, drinking more. So sometimes I'll say to the father, he'll say to me, um, oh, um, I know he's not well because his partner told me, you know, 
can you speak to my uh, husband or a partner? And said, yes, fine. And um, first thing I say to him, um, you know, are you suffering anxiety? Oh, I'm fine, Mark. I'm fine. Okay. I'm all right. Okay. Uh, can I ask you, are you drinking more since the pregnancy or baby? And uh, they say, well, I am drinking more now. I'm drinking more every night. Okay. What is the reason behind that? I said, well, Mark, my mind's racing, can't cope, I'm not sleeping well. Oh, okay, now we're going on the path now. And he's recognising himself that he's, he's... So I don't... I just plant the seeds and they come to their own conclusion. And then I break down the myths of that then, uh, why they're not getting help. And a big common one is they worry about their partners, they worry about their social life, as in, uh, this, you know, obviously, what, what the stigma of the years, the workplace... Like you mentioned, Tom, being section. So once we break down all those barriers, then I path, you know, got, they got a similar path, a pathway to get that care. And like I get to go back to them. Sometimes it could be the smallest thing, that, which is the biggest thing for them as well, you know. So so we're trying to work out together and navigate that support. CBT works for me. I find it really effective. Still do. I, I use vision boards. I get out my mind. I write things down. And um, I know it triggers, you know, obviously exercise, healthy eating, all sorts of things as well. But um, but it's knowing that there's other fathers out there and it's really high. You know, it's, the new research is coming out, 22% of fathers struggle with anxiety and depression, the Canadian study. So we're not in screening and assessing dads yet. Uh, and a lot of these fathers end up in services after the postnatal period and don't get the root of the cause. So it's very important to look at this as a root of the cause because if another pregnancy comes along they give me higher rates of antenatal anxiety that impacts on mum and that's not good when mum is stressed and then baby as well so it's really saying it's very important time and it's a wonderful experience I love fatherhood but I believe that six months I was home I create that bond attachment because like skin to skin you know engaging more my son those sorts of things really helped me, give, gave me the confidence to be a dad as well. Yeah, that's because um, I think that's hard, isn't it, for dads? Like knowing how to bond and feeling a little bit left out. You, you know what I mean? Like I remember feeling a bit jealous. I know it's just, it's just, you no. know, it's a strange thing to yeah. say. Like, but yeah, it's just such a yeah, and you and you don't know what to do, and you don't know like what these things mean there's all this new terminology like i remember yeah. I, I remember my wife would say like can you get him a vest and i was looking for like a little like vest like a little yeah. you know like a, like a little basketball <laughs> vest or a little wife beater you know but, uh, but um yeah so you, and but i think like you say by just starting with the basics with those with those cuddles isn't it and just having that that in that involvement i suppose early on can kind of ease ease you into this whole thing of like trying to figure out like you know how to be a dad no, he's spot on time. And what you're just saying, like you said, it is. And some of the jargon, obviously, you know, in the labor ward, all sorts of things, you know, expectations, you know, these things I break down as well. Because, like you said, and it's okay to have those feelings that, you know, a lot of men will mask those emotions. Oh, I had this wonderful feeling of love. And when I do speak to them later, no, Mark, I didn't struggle. And it's quite science tells us it takes us a bit longer. You know, we didn't have a nine months head start. So if there's any fathers out there, you know, speak the bump, you know, get involved, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, the voice, the father's voice is very important as well. You know, so really, really get in tune with the baby, I always tell him and as well. But um, and I'm still making mistakes as a parent. And my son's 19 and it's OK to make those mistakes as well. Yeah, sure. Were you um was part of your worries, Mark, um, about what 
you not being well, like the impact would that have on your son? Because that was something that plagued me. Even when I started to get, when I got out of crisis, then my main source of anxiety was like, well, has all this carnage that I've just waged, how is this going to affect like this little, this little man when he grows up? Do you know what I mean? Was that some, does that ring bells for you as well? Mate? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's never common one because like you said, you know, me and my wife were very unwell, you know, different times. Because my wife's depression came back, see, when she was looking after me. So she was back in crisis. That was a turning point where she started going into the third sector as well. But then, um, so, yeah, so there was times where, yeah, you know, we had a bit of a timeline where it was just the postnatal period after. It was after, you know, a couple of years after as well, you know. And, um, but my son is probably the most educated, well, 13, 14 year old at the time than I was at 30 years of age. And um, what came out of a lot of it is, you know, gosh, you're just talking about eventually maybe doing voluntary work, you know, and with my wife, my wife, Michelle, runs volunteers and stuff and, you know, eventually doing it that. So there's a lot of benefits to come out of this. But just because you all got parents, you know, at the end of the day, where I always tell the parents, like, you know, coming out of this journey, I got more empathy, understanding. I communicate with my son better, something I didn't do with my father. There's a lot of benefits that's come out of this massively but certainly he's he's grounded he, he's and i'll tell you this in, in covid where i when i run the football team uh one of the players actually went on to my son ethan because he um he knows more about mental health understanding and empathy and he didn't go on to anyone else you know and so you know at he's about well covid about 15 he was yeah and his mother said yeah do you know your son helped my my son like and i was like didn't you tell me like you know you didn't tell me you know so so yeah i think there's a lot better far more benefits to come up to this far better yeah. yeah i love that idea that you know like each like generation is gonna know you know we talked about you know like family before you and stuff and like every generation is gonna be better i see the same thing in my kid my kids are a lot younger so mine are like six and seven you know and um but again like you can have these like conversations and demonstrate as well. I think that's like, that's probably more important, isn't it? Particularly when they're small, it's like they learn much more from what you're doing rather than what you're saying. Eh? Yeah. And just because you're depressed, like I was still proactive, you know, my wife was proactive, amazing mother and still is, you know, but some days she couldn't get a bed. I couldn't get out of the bed, you know, sort of things. And, you know, we navigated that parenting together, you know? So when she, you know, we, we work together to parent, you know, I, I found what I was good at. I found out, Michelle found out what she was good at at the time, you know. So so we navigate that. And like you said, it takes a whole village to raise a child. And and in a sense, that has to be mum and dad, you know, wherever that parent is. So it's uh, communities can help. You know, years ago, like in our community, like I said, you know, uh, we come together, you know, as parents, you know, and help. But unfortunately today, as we know, a lot of people are moving away. Uh, and it's harder, far harder for a lot of parents out there to um, get that support as well. But uh, when it goes back to your question, yeah, no, I think I think there's been far, far more positives out of our experiences than negative for my son as well, definitely. Yeah. Oh, mate, that's um, it's lovely, isn't it, to be able to kind of sit back and and be able to say that, you know, it's such a nice, nice thing, particularly like as dads. That's sort of the thing that we um that we worry about so much, you know. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you about um international fathers mental health day as well because that's uh that's something that you were involved with uh bringing together is that right mark 
Yeah, yeah. So um, in the World Health Organization, it has nothing on uh, between mental health, depression in fathers. Uh, all, nothing whatsoever, no, nothing in 2024. So it's something I've been pushing with them and trying to get on. And uh, as on maternity services and maternity mental health, I should say, uh, nice guidelines, nice guidelines. There's no pathway care for fathers in CG one and two nice guidelines, plenty of mothers. So if a father's struggling, you know, GP, the nice guidelines, we're, okay, where are we going to put them? <clears throat> so that's hopefully going to be changing in coming years. And um, because what I realised it wasn't just a UK uh, concern, it was a global concern. So I was getting emails from all over the world, you know, from different areas and different things. And, uh, and it, you know, when you think it's 140 million live births every year on average, and uh, how many of those fathers are struggling in silence, you know? So that was the reason 2016 to set up International Fathers Mental Health Day. And after the second year, uh, I had a doctor, Dr. Daniel Singley, and from California, and then we've got a couple of doctors now from different parts of the world. It's growing, growing each year then. Again, like you said, it's all voluntary. It's all, we self-fund it. We, we don't, you know, but um, it's one day of the year where we get as much research evidence and uh, we should be talking about every day, but it's always a day after Father's Day because that's when we get a lot of publicity sort of thing, you know. Yeah, that's lovely. They, uh, like with the, you know, these international days and stuff, there is a certain amount of... Um... Uh, skepticism about them isn't there and I always kind of um when I remember the first time ever that I saw someone who looked like me and sounded like me and talked about an experience that I could relate to because I'd been looking for that for a long time and like everyone it's not the, for me personally it's not the same when I see like celebrities talking and stuff like that I'm a yeah. little bit I'm a little bit cynical I think you're trying to you know sell you yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I can't like I can't relate to it you know yeah um, but yeah I saw someone on it was one of the the mental health days I saw someone on a on a hashtag talking and for me it was like a, a the smallest light bulb coming on I'm thinking wow here's someone who who looks like me and sounds like me and is describing for the first time I've heard someone describe what I'm feeling right now and you know it's it, you just never know do you where these things are gonna um like end up and, and impact someone in in a way that makes all the difference hey yeah no definitely and it's like it's like so many fathers I you know don't even know they have the thoughts and feelings. And, and again, I go back to the guy, Brian, um, you know, if I hadn't spoke to Brian, I may never found out about this, you know, uh, you know, the, the PTSD and the other things aspects. So, uh, I was never diagnosed with post-depression or PTSD, uh, diagnosed with ADHD, but after working in the field, if I was screen assessed, then of course I would have been. So I used to have nightmares like my wife and baby died and things like that. But um but then uh, how I processed it was, we didn't, and this is the other thing I, I, I want to raise awareness of, it's a lot of fathers, because they don't get the help and support sometimes for various reasons, they don't want any more children then as well, and that can affect relationships as well, certainly my, my case as well. And um, so this is why the International Day, we want to raise awareness, because say there's so many fathers got voices out there, and um, we need to make sure that we normalise those comments, and it's okay not to feel okay, as they say as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, is it is the a lot of the themes that we've talked about today? Are, are these the themes in your new book that you've got coming out, mate? Tell me about that. Oh yeah, so um, I never thought I'd write a book. Um, you know, leaving school fifteen, you know, got no yeah. complications and stuff. But um, but yeah, you've done, a, done a few now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 anyone knows, um, it sounds really glamorous and all that, but unless you're jk rowling you don't make much money out of the books, you know, sort of thing. Um, the amount of hours I put into those books. 
But um, the most important reason why we had the books because we wanted them. Um, you know, I, I I'm pretty lucky uh, when they say I love it when you know Dad reads a book and oh, I can relate to that and that's enough for me and it really is. Uh, um, so yeah, we've done the first book, Daddy Blues, uh, with publisher. Then um, we turned into a film. You can see it on Amazon Prime. Uh, wonderful doctor again. We cost us a thousand pound make a film. Amazon Prime all done involuntary, and it's a forty minute education film, very PG version. But after the end, there's a motivation at the end. So, you know, I always tell people watch the end because give people light, you know, uh, growth and stuff like that. So, and then, yeah, working with Jane, obviously done um, a couple of academic books. And uh, and, the, and the recent one is with the publishers, they very much, they want to, it's great to have a publisher, but it was a case of like, you know, this one taking three years. It's like, you, they don't want to add in it or take this out. I wanted to say about, if, if I'm going to write the last book, it has to be about everything, you know, fathers in prison services, fathers born with um, disabilities, fathers with children with disabilities, far, you know, um, the LG, uh, LGTB plus Q community, you know, black dads, uh, 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 parents of colour, you know, all, you know, all colour, you know, everyone, community cultures, I want it all in this one book, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah, I just thought I'd put it out there as well. So I self-published that one as well you know so it makes sure it's out there as well but it's, i'm done now i'm done yeah, all done. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I, it's so important when with things like when you talk about mental health and mental illness and these bigger topics it's so important to be able to do exactly that and say whatever you want to say you know like i i what that's so, kind of like what i try and do with this podcast is i don't want the light and fluffy version do you yeah. know what i mean because I, yeah. I don't i don't believe that that serves people like i want to go there and sometimes it is challenging to listen to, or these books are challenging to read, but they should be because it's a challenging experience, right? And there's no point sugarcoating it. I think it's much more beneficial to, obviously we do it with compassion and in the right way and all the rest yeah. of it, but you know, like we shouldn't skirt around it, should we? So to be able to like take control and say, right, I'm going to publish it myself. I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Like that, that's really important though, isn't it? Like, it's, uh, I'm glad you saw that Tom, because I, 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 I feel more relaxed now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know you're right you're 100% right because it is it's hard work you know if it was so easy gosh I, I am come to this space where you know in it is hard work you know we all be fine if it, but it is hard work and that's why I say to people you know keep at they keep at they okay find this find that my purpose I believe uh my recovery really happened because I had a purpose and you know I, I just so focused to help other fathers and mothers obviously as well and then my, my wife you know I get a lot of credit. My wife does amazing. Well, she's a youth worker and, you know, works in dementia, anxiety groups, and I got one in our valley now. You know, we've got this purpose that money can't, you know, can't buy, like, and, you know, sort of thing. To, um, and, you know, yeah, it's just getting a message out there, really. And, like, what you're doing is it's like that one person will listen to the podcast, think, and I've listened to podcast. oh, my gosh, I can relate to that. Yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Relater, relatability makes a big difference. The, the title of the book, obviously, How Are You, Dad? And that's like, that, that simple question is enough. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a bit of assumption, but like why that's the title is quite simply about asking that question. Is that, is, am I on the right track there, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Because we did a survey that um, 80% of fathers wasn't asked once about their mental health. Tom, can I ask you, was you asked once? Was you asked about your mental health? 
No, I don't. I certainly don't remember it. I don't remember it being. Um, if I did, I would have lied. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but no, I wasn't. I wasn't asked. I wasn't asked that question. No. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's about um, like I said, you know, sometimes just you know engage with dad, you know, and how, how are we doing? You know, you know, it can be you know hard, you know, sometimes. But it's, like you, you just spot on just now what you said. We need, can't. Um, sugarcoat parenting it's 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 hard it's bloody hard so you know it's really hard you know and and it's not this uh what we see in the media and you know wonderful it is hard it's a wonderful experience i got the best uh, experience being a father but it's fucking hard <laughs> it is hard hard i uh, sleep everything that comes with it everything that comes with it initially but the rewards afterwards and the purpose and other things uh, yeah, but if so, the thing is, is really important that if fathers depressed, they're less likely to sing, read, dance, and play. They're less likely to follow health, good health guidelines, putting baby safe, you know, baby shaking syndrome, all the other things we know about. Uh, so there's risk factors that we got to look at. So my work is not just my father's mental health, how it can impact on mum's mental health, um, and vice versa. If so, if a father's uh, partner's got post depression, up to fifty percent of dads can get depressed. Um, child development we talk about in, in, in some cases adverse child experiences loads of things so if you get it right early on the, uh, the you know I've seen so many families break up the father's been unwell haven't been supported and then his family law parental alienation goes on and on and there's high rates of suicide and Tom I'll tell you this um, a father is up to 47 times more risk of suicide than at any other time in a man's life. Really, yeah. 2011 research as well, because of the other aspects that come, it comes to the forefront, all the other things, lack of sleep. You mentioned about torture, which I do mention actually when I say about psychosis, sleep deprivation, psychosis and other things. So a father's up to 47 times more risk of suicide as well. Yeah, that's um, that's that's scary numbers, aren't they? Scary numbers, and the, the, I love that idea of um, with like the awareness and asking the question and catching it early. You mentioned some of the knock-on effects there, and I think it's so it's such a bloke thing to be like, um, oh, it's okay, I'll sort it. So they know that was me, right? I knew something was wrong, and it's like I'm not going to ask for help. I'll sort it. if I I'll sort it behind the scenes and then no one ever has to know I'll sort it myself. I'll sort it myself. And yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And, yeah. and that's where those problems come further down the line, isn't it? Because you, you can't sort it yourself. You can't, you gotta, you gotta talk about it. You gotta get some help, whatever that help might look like for that person. Eh? Absolutely. And if there's any mum speaking, like I said, it's the leading cause of death by suicide is maternal mental health, you know? So, so, you know, eventually one day, when we do the new things that's happening now, trailer, you know, it could be one of the leading causes of death in male suicide. There's other aspects. We know that. Of course it is. Like young people and young fathers out there, loads of things. But um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, you know, so I can relate to you what you just said, actually. That's why my mind's racing all over the place. But you're right, it is. It, it's um I didn't know. I didn't know how to navigate our support, and I just felt I was the only one. And you talk about um, I mentioned about jealousy, things like um Sometimes, you know, the baby comes along, change a nappy, dad's been at work, can't get the baby nappy right. Oh, give me the baby here, you're too slow. Dad will move off. Then if he's isolated. Uh, so we got to start uh, educating mums that fathers can experience this as well because and look out for the signs and symptoms because it does break up a lot of relationships as well because sometimes the father may have intrusive thoughts and all the things and he won't bath the baby. What is the reason why he's not bathing the baby? Why is this not happening? 
and these could be the causes as well yeah no that's such a great point isn't it and so many of these things like they boil down to almost like nothing and then like dad feels a certain way so he doesn't say anything and then mum will then assume that he feels something else and before you know it like like you say communication breakdown relationship on the rocks baby's caught in the middle and all it is really is just like oh i i thought you said that and i wish i'd said something and i didn't and it boils down to nothing isn't it and i suppose like yeah it all just it just seems to keep coming back to uh, communication and, and talking and oh, you know, i'm laughing because oh gosh it's like you yeah it's it, the reason why i'm laughing because everything is saying is exactly what i talk about common theme because communication is so vital between parents because you, it's funny you should say, I, you know, I just talked about this yesterday. You know, dad's all thinking over here. Um, Mum's just had a baby, you know, and um, um, something might be wrong. Maybe his dad doesn't want sex with his partner, maybe. Uh, why he doesn't want sex when he just had a new baby? Is it me? And then dad's all thinking, I don't want a baby again. I don't want my wife to be pregnant. I don't want to go for that birth trauma and see that and what I'm feeling now. Because they don't communicate then, sometimes that could be a breakdown in relationships as well. So, I'm back. It's funny. That's why I'm nodding because that was exactly what I was talking about yesterday. What you're saying as well. Yeah, communication is so important between parents. Yeah, and I think so many people would um, would say the same thing. Like these things are like they're all people all seem to say the same sorts of things, don't they? Like when when people talk about what they're experiencing and why they don't ask for help and what they think is going to happen, it does seem to be the same the same myths that just like just hang around, right? Yeah, yeah. the same yeah. the same ones. It oh, is. Amazing. No, no, it's good. And like I said, now me and my wife talk, we communicate. She knows I'm having a struggle day. I go up and it's okay, you know, right that day off, you know. And uh, I've yeah, we we got really good communication better. We had a good communication before, but it was around mental health. You know, it was around. Uh, so we got far greater communication now, massively as well. Yeah, that um, that's, again, you know, you talk about benefits of 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 the struggle and having the vocabulary and the emotional literacy and being able to just sort of like look someone in the eye and say something that like is either hard to say or might be hard for them to hear and put your ego to one side yeah. and like take <laughs> take it on the chin like all this stuff is uh, you know it all it all comes as you start to to learn it it does become easier to do and the, oh. the benefits of that are endless aren't they mate yeah definitely yeah definitely and like i said i'm still learning i'm still learning about mental health and never know everything and like i said but i do know when i get more overwhelmed and no triggers i know like i said i, I you know like i said it's is walking you know some of the simpler things sometimes can you know i know we talk about a lot um walking talk but they are you know the nature those sort of things and it's things i um as a man i would say uh when i first get help you know I, I probably would have dismissed, you know, um, as in, like, you know, but there's such, you know, things I've learned, mindful, like different things where, yeah, yeah, gosh, there's so many benefits out there that uh, we got to embrace sometimes and find out what works for us as well massively, you know. Yeah, and I, I you know, you say you, you might have uh, dismissed it. I would have been the same, but then it makes the difference when someone who sounds like you. So some lad in the valleys, yeah, you, know, you might hear like we were saying before. It might be someone like down south with a massive Instagram following and loads of money in the bank, and he's going to be like, oh, I'm fucking listening to him. But then you <laughs> yeah. know, someone like yourself who lives down the road, and you know that that's the person that they listen to, right? And just as many yeah. voices in this conversation, it's it's better. Absolutely, we all got sorry to and, and the thing is, like I said, I got a hoodie on today. When I do the conferences and I'm speaking, I, 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 of course, I dress and I sometimes put a bit of a twangy telephone voice on to, you know, just to uh, show I'm 
uh yeah but once i'm back in the valleys you know but um yeah i i'm like um what's that thing i, I adapt to and i think i think I, how i adapt the transferable skills have happened when i was in sales and marketing and stuff and when i was face to face and that's we all got transferable skills in this game as well you know so how we can transfer those skills into helping other people so you know just because you know if, if anyone you know decides when if he, in the right place to you know go on after these struggles surprise that when people got tra- really good transferable skills to help other people in this field as well so that's something i always encourage people to do as well yeah that's lovely yeah i really like that yeah very much so mate we're uh we're approaching the hour there mate oh, that absolutely blown yeah yeah very much so man but um <laughs> it's been lovely to uh to spend some time with you today mate thank you so much no, for coming on that was lovely no tom it, it was great well it's flown for me and uh and and i just wish you well for everything you do and uh it's great we're doing honestly absolutely oh, yeah likewise right back at you mate thank you A big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast.